welcome to the Central Vineyard podcast. We're really pleased you've chosen to join us today. Our vision is to be a transformational church community, following Jesus, joining God in the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us in person if you're able to on a Sunday morning. If you would like more details, you can visit our website at centralvineyard.co.uk. Um, morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Deborah. I'm on the team here at Central Vineyard. And as Dan says, it's my great privilege to close our series on solitude and silence this week. If you have been around for a while, you may be aware that we will regularly bring you teaching that comes under the banner of Practicing the Way. And they're about practicing um, the things that Jesus did, basically. So we've done prayer, we've done Sabbath, we've done fasting, and to kick off 2024, we are doing solitude and silence. Ken spoke to us about how necessary is a rhythm of solitude and silence in our world that is filled with noise and distraction. And last week, Alan spoke to us about solitude and silence being a place of encounter. And through that encounter, our invitation to grow in Christ-likeness Now, I hope I haven't done either gentleman a disservice, Um, and if I have, I do apologise. There's Ken, he's not looking at me. Sorry, Ken, if I've summarised you too simply there. If you missed one or both of those talks, I do commend you to go over to our website, centralvineyard.co.uk, and have a listen. Three weeks is very short to cover one of the practices of following Jesus, so that comes with the caveat this morning. Um, Do have a listen, and I'm going to recommend some books to read at the end. Of course I am going to recommend books to read. So this week, it falls to me to talk about abiding. But you know, we had the worship song, Home. Thank you, Hannah, for introducing us to Home this morning. Thank you. And the words that we've had um, from Michelle and from Amber about Home. So whilst the title is Abiding, I want to rename my talk this morning, Coming Home. Okay, because I think this morning, solitude and silence is about how we come home to Jesus. As always, though, I'm going to begin with a short prayer. Father God, I just want to thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you're already here, that you care for each one of us. Thank you that our hearts are not hidden from you. I ask that my words this morning would be pleasing to you. And any, anything that is a distraction, Lord, I pray it would fall away to nothing. I ask this in the precious name of your risen Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. I always like to begin by rooting our direction in Scripture, and this morning is no different. So if you have something to hand, feel free. This is where everybody gets their phones out, and it's the Bible app, not Facebook or Instagram. Okay. Um, if you'd like to get your Scripture out, if you don't, as Dan says, we have New Testaments on the landing. Um, we would love to bless you with a copy of the New Testament. We're going to go into John. If you don't have a Bible, you don't want to stand up, whatever, don't worry, the words are going to appear behind me on the screen. So let's read together then in John chapter 15, verses 4 to 7. Welcome back, youth. We're going to read John chapter 15, verses 4 to 7, but the words are going to come up here. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Amen. So often when we look at practicing the way of Jesus, we can hear a talk, we can read some books, and we can go away with the best of intentions, but then, you know, the world creeps in. So it really mattered to me as I prepared for this morning that my posture was one of invitation and one of generous grace, because often when we're standing up here talking to you about the practicing the way of Jesus, we're also talking to ourselves. So this morning comes with an invitation and grace, generous grace. Solitude and silence come with a cautionary note. If you're an extrovert, the idea of solitude and silence may not appeal to you for the same reason that it might appeal to all of us introverts for exactly those reasons. Um, If we treat solitude and silence in a worldly way, though, we're kind of missing that invitation found in solitude and silence. It's not an invitation to a little day spa for the soul. Solitude and silence are one side of a partnership, and it's a partnership that we're all called to, regardless of our preferences around introversion or extroversion. The other side of that partnership is community and ministry, and we see Jesus modeling that in our scriptures. We saw Jesus withdraw to solitude and silence, followed by being really present in community and ministry. As John Mark Comer says, community and solitude are the two legs by which we travel the way of Jesus. In her book, An Invitation to Solitude and Silence, Ruth Haley Barton says this, silence and solitude is an invitation to enter more deeply into the intimacy with the one who waits just outside the noise and busyness of our lives. An invitation to enter more deeply into the intimacy with the one who waits just outside the noise and busyness of our lives. I love that. I love that. This morning, I have already scored an hour's worth of netball somewhere else, and then once I finish here, I'll be driving off to hockey. Life is noisy, and life is busy. I wouldn't change it, by the way, because actually it's great to be able to do those things. It's a real privilege. But, you know, even this morning, life is noisy with whistles and shouting, and it will be this afternoon as well. Ruth Haley Barton's words call to mind the part of Elijah's story where he encounters God in the silence, after the wind has split the rocks, after the earthquake, after the fire, then there was sheer silence. And it was in that sheer silence there that Elijah encountered God. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 19. Don't ever just take my word for it. Feel free to check what I say against your scripture because I am fallible, I'm a human being, and I can get things wrong. So you are also invited to read that at your leisure. But I'm just going to summarize as well. If you do read it, you'll see that God invited Elijah to that place, to that mountain. Elijah had been answering God's call to ministry. He had been doing what God created him to do and what God had asked him to do. But he was exhausted, and he was at the end of his physical limit. He was so, so hungry in 1 Kings 19. Before he could encounter God in the stillness, God invited Elijah to attend to his physical needs. God fed Elijah and told him to rest. Like, he was literally, God said, Elijah, you're hungry and you're tired. Have a nap and some food. And when Elijah came round, actually, God said to him, no, no, you still need to eat and you still need to rest. God doesn't want to meet us. He doesn't invite us to come to him absolutely burnt out. He will meet us if we are, but he doesn't want us to run out of everything we've got physically and then come to him. God fed Elijah and told him to rest. And he didn't 
Elijah didn't pause for this five-minute sit-down or a 20-minute power nap. He actually stopped and ate and let his body recover. God knew better than Elijah how much he needed to eat and rest before Elijah would be able to answer God's invitation to the mountain where there Elijah would encounter God. And there's something about being invited, isn't there? And I don't mean sometimes these modern invitations can be a bit like, oh, we're doing this thing, and if you're free, you can come along if you want to, when we're all a bit wary of, you know, invitations. It's just like, oh, it's okay. If I don't invite you properly, I can't get hurt when you say no or you're not available. Or... But actually, we don't like to be on the receiving end of those invitations, do we? A real invitation warms the heart, one that says, I would love to see you there. Your presence will make a difference. Come along. Come. I want to see you. And that was the kind of invitation that God had given to Elijah, one that warms the heart, one that makes us feel wanted, welcomed, accepted, seen, and heard. So this idea of God waiting for us to accept him. I'm back. Faded out then. Waiting for us to accept God's invitation just outside that noise and distraction and busyness of our lives. It's a really compelling one. Even though it's compelling, the world has made it increasingly harder to accept this invitation. I think it matters more than ever that we talk about the importance of abiding. We look at why it's important to stick with practicing following Jesus. Let's talk about this. We don't really say abiding much, do we? It's quite biblical. It's quite a biblical word. As an adjective in normal English, the word abiding means lasting a long time or enduring. The ancient Greek roots of the word abide in the Bible offer us a slightly more nuanced meaning. It means to dwell, to remain, to be held and kept, to continue. So when Jesus, in his words from our reading in John 15, tells us to abide with him, he's inviting us to stick with following him for the long haul. He's also inviting us to allow our memories and our emotions to become a real part of our relationship with him. To not separate life from our relationship with Jesus. And in John chapter 14, Jesus tells us why. In verse 2, John chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the place where I am going. Last time I talked about these sandwiches that Jesus leaves throughout the gospel, where you get something that really matters, some other stuff, and then something that matters again. And I believe that um, John chapters 14 and 15 are one of these sandwiches. Jesus tells us he has prepared a place for us in his father's home. This world is not our home. The place that Jesus has already prepared for us is our home. So in chapter 15, where Jesus tells us to abide with him, he's reiterating to us the way to get home. In chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus tells us, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So he's already in us. And we want to abide with Jesus. We want to last a long time with and endure. We want to be held and kept and continue because that's how we get home to Jesus. He's in us, but it goes both ways. 
we need to go back to him as well. <clears throat> and Jesus waits for us in that solitude and silence to meet with us, to grow in intimacy with us. Now, don't get me wrong, God is absolutely everywhere, and he is always with you. But our relationship with him grows when we hear and accept his invitation to get outside the noise, to get outside the busyness, and just spend time with him. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father can't grow if we don't set aside that time to just be us and him individually. As Dallas Willard said, until we enter quietness, the world still lays hold of us. When we go into solitude and silence, we stop making demands on God. It is enough that God is God and we are his. We learn we have a soul and God is here, that this world is my father's world. It is enough that God is God and we are his. Robert Cardinal Sarah builds on Dallas Willard's words by saying, at the heart of man, there is an innate silence. For God abides in the innermost part of every person. God is silence, and this divine silence dwells in man. In God, we are inseparably bound up with silence. God carries us, and we live with him at every moment by keeping silence. Nothing will make us discover God better than his silence inscribed in the center of our being. If we don't cultivate silence, how can we find God? Man likes to travel, to create, to make great discoveries, but he remains outside of himself, far from God, who is silently in his soul. There is no place on earth where God is more present than in the human heart. The heart is truly God's abode, the temple of silence. The Father waits for his children in their own hearts. So then it matters, it really, really matters that we develop a rhythm of solitude and silence. And this rhythm will enable us to respond to that invitation to meet with God, to encounter him and to grow with him. I wish that's all there was to it, because that would be really a simple talk. But um, things are going to get in the way, and I'm not going to rehash everything that Ken and Alan said, but I do want to talk about the reality of what it's like to practice solitude and silence with you. Our culture is colored by the productivity mindset. Even when it comes to our well-being, we are conditioned to kind of put in an effort in order to get something out, even when it comes to our well-being. We're looking to get some kind of reward or outcome for whatever it is we're putting in. Um, I had the great privilege of taking on round two of COVID a couple of weeks ago, um, which I did not love. And um, somebody very lovely messaged me to ask how I was doing. And I kid you not, when I tell you my response was this, I said, I've been resting properly for three days, and I still feel really grim. Resting properly for three days, that's really nothing when you're not doing very well with COVID. And as I reflected, I realized that I was approaching this particular bout of illness with that productivity mindset. Subconsciously, I was believing if I stop everything for three days, I, I mean, I couldn't, I had to stop, I couldn't do anything. But what was going on in my mind was if I stop and I lay down on the couch for three days, I couldn't even watch television or do any, I couldn't do any jigsaw, which if you know me, was very distressing. I did nothing for three days. And subconsciously, I believed, right, I've given this illness three days, so the outcome should be that I should recover more quickly. So even my health, was, I was approaching it with this productivity mindset. If I put in rest, I will get out wellness, as if I could set the agenda on getting well, as if I could set the timing by putting in the right thing, I would get out the outcome that I wanted. 
And isn't that the same across the board? It's not just when we get COVID or we get a cold or something, you know, wants to slow us down. We fall into that conditioned mindset of behaving in a particular way in order to achieve a certain outcome. And it is insidious and it is everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. So then when we plan our solitude and silence, what expectations do we have about the supposed outcome of that time? How does that posture of expectation affect the way that we might approach solitude and silence? Do we unconsciously expect any solitude and silence to provide a little day spa for a spirit? A kind of, I'll put an hour in to get some serenity out. The reality is when we first begin to practice solitude and silence, lots and lots of things are going to come up for us. As Alan said last week, it's a place where, first of all, we're going to do spiritual battle. Our lives can be so busy that they're like a jar filled with dirty water. And it's all shaken up and it's all swirling about. And so we don't actually know clearly what's in there. We just know that everything is moving at pace and it's all mixed up together. So then when we do slow down and we do quiet down, these things in our lives, they're not new. They're just becoming more clear, more audible or more visible to us. And it's in this place of solitude and silence that God invites us to deal with these things. Things such as tiredness, like Elijah. Once we slow down, we might realize that we're really, really tired. And that's to be addressed in a place of regular rest and Sabbath. We might find that fear, sadness, anger, and shame all come up. In solitude, we have nowhere to hide, and everything is laid bare before God. Inside each of us is a deep well of pain because life is both simultaneously incredibly beautiful and incredibly painful, this side of eternity. So it doesn't matter how sunny your disposition is or how positive your outlook. We're all broken and we all live a broken life in a broken world and we're all in need of salvation. We all experience fear and anger and shame and sadness. And so it's in the place of solitude that the waters of our lives are going to begin to settle and show us the reality of our need for God, where these things are going to surface and we'll really, really experience them because that's where we make the time to do that. Now, I know I'm sounding like a reverse sales pitch and you might be thinking, do you know what, Deborah? If you're going to tell me all these things, why would I want to go into solitude and silence? If all this muck is going to come to the surface and become apparent and I'm not going to get any serenity in return, why am I going to do that? Well, stick with me, abide with me for a few more minutes, and hopefully it'll all become clear. The bad news is all of that stuff is in us anyway. All of that fear and sadness and anger and hurt and shame, we all have them. It's all just mixed up in the pace and busyness of life in 21st century Northamptonshire. And even worse than that, it's leaking out over the people closest to us. We've all got it, and we're all leaking over the people that we love, the people that we live with, the people we walk the dog with, the people we make the coffee with, the people we work with. All of that stuff just leaks out anyway, because that's how life is. To get free of the fear and sadness and anger and shame, we have got to face them. Culturally, we have grown incredibly adept at distracting ourselves with whatever our chosen distraction is. As I said, life is deeply beautiful, but it is also painful. So we learn to face our pain by practicing following Jesus. That's why we endure, and that's why we stick with it. And so let's talk about how we're going to do that, because I feel like we've gone into this talk like, here's some bad news, some stuff is going to come up. So let's talk about how we do that, and let's be practical about it. 
We go into solitude to get away from the noise and distraction of life. And then when you're in your solitude, let yourself feel. Whatever is in you, just let it come up. It's not gonna, those feelings aren't going to last forever. Particularly if you've just been avoiding those feelings, they're going to come up. And those feelings are only temporary. Don't run away to your distraction of choice. Follow that feeling all the way down to God. Notice that feeling. Name it before God. That's going to do wonders. In doing this, we realize our feelings are a part of us, but they're not the whole of us. And when we realize our feelings are part of us, not the whole, it gives us perspective, which gives us distance, which then helps us to get free and get freedom. When I say our feelings are not part of us, I might feel sadness. I do feel sadness. But I'm not defined by my sadness. I'm more than that, because at the same time I might feel sadness, I can also feel fulfillment and joy. Feel accepted. And even whilst I'm feeling all of those things, I can also feel anxiety. Do you see the, the subtle difference? So let's change the narrative to I feel rather than I am. So often we don't pray those feelings out to God either because we see them as negative feelings. So instead, we might pray as we think we should. We come to God and we think, this is how then I should pray. But this is a place of safety. Give God the ugly stuff. I promise you, God can take it. He already knows it's there. And he can handle it. There's nothing in your life that God can't handle and doesn't want you to talk to him about. Don't filter it. Well, even if it's anger or bitterness or hurt or worry, say it out to God. It's not a place to be good. It's a place to be real. The Psalms... Michelle, no, Amber read, Psalm 56. The Psalms are two-thirds of the psalmist being real. It's not complaining, but it's the U-shape of lament. You go down into whatever is bothering you, and you keep going, and you offer it up to God, and you keep going. And once we get through those feelings that come up, that are muddying the waters, then we're invited to give God our desires. So we've given him those feelings that are bubbling up. And then the next thing is to give him the things that we want, what's on our heart. And again, this is a place to be real, not a place to be good. And it's only by speaking it out to God without filter that you can give it over to him and release it from yourself for freedom. I'm flying through a little bit this morning because of time. Our desires are complex, right? We want to be holy, but we also want to sin. We want to follow God's call on our life, but we also don't want to go to the cross. Do you see how everything is kind of mixed up in our lives? And it's only by noticing it and naming it, giving it to God, it can be dealt with. And then finally, the hardest part, and I certainly struggle with this bit the most, it's the hardest part of a hard ask. We give God our trust. Once we've given God our feelings and our desires, the things that we want, we are to surrender. This is the place where we let go and say, I'm not in control. We give up trying to engineer our life and its outcomes. And in that moment of surrender, that right there is where the chaos starts to subside and the peace starts to come in. Because you're alone with God. No noise, no distractions. 
Jesus invites us to go into our pain and to meet God there in order to come through it. And it's in the place of meeting God that we ask the question. This has been such a helpful question for me. What is God doing through this? Where is God in this? And what is God doing in me? Because that's where we look to see God at work. And it takes our eyes off us and it takes our, our, puts our eyes onto what is God doing? Where is God in this? What is God doing through this? And what is God doing in me? We press in to see God at work in our lives and in ourselves. We experience being totally exposed, but also, as scary as that is, we are totally seen. We are totally known. We are completely forgiven, completely accepted, and completely loved by God, just as we are. He doesn't need you to be a certain way with him. He just wants you to come to him. He just says, come home. And that's not the end. That's all the things that could get in the way of us practicing solitude when those things come up. We're conditioned to kind of try and avoid them and back away and be really busy. So as we find that freedom, as we start to give those things over to God, we want to make sure we're not having a one-sided conversation. You would never go to the doctor and say, hi, here's all my symptoms, thanks very much for listening, goodbye, see you next time, bye, 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 and run out the door you wouldn't actually get what you need, and he needs to tell you what his response is. So we need to practice waiting and listening. Simone Weil once said that waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of spiritual life. That is it. That's her whole summary. Our, waste, our culture has been so formed by the developments of some of the brightest minds of the last 30 years that we've grown accustomed to speed. Everything happens at pace, 5G... Wi-Fi, Amazon, streaming platforms, you name it, you can get pretty much either on demand or amazingly quickly anything you wish. Has anybody here been watching Gladiators on BBC? A oh, few nods. Yeah, few nods at the back. Um, we introduced our children to Gladiator on the iPlayer last Saturday. It's so good. Rachel's telling me it's, it's so cheesy. We love it. It's pantomime, and we're always rooting for the underdog. But what we were saying to our children, you know, when somebody says, can you just pause that? And you press pause and it stops. And then, you know, you get the drinks or whatever. And so we said to our children, do you know when we watched this more years ago than we're going to count? It came on at a certain time. You didn't bother recording it because it was only gladiators if you had a video recorder. So you had to watch it when it started. And if you wanted a drink or a comfort break, you had to wait for the adverts. And you could guarantee if you had siblings, when you left the room, somebody would shout at you, it's you're missing it. Can you tell I grew up with siblings? But it used to be on ITV, though, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. So we were saying this to our children, and the puzzled look was like, what? And it's now, now you have to, now you can watch it whenever it's on, and you can pause it whenever it's on. But the whole point, the whole point of the Gladiator story was not to have a conversation about BBC and ITV. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm quite distracted. The point is now you can choose. What used to just be on and you would watch it if, if you were there and if you weren't, you missed it, and miss it, miss out. The point is now spiritual life has not kept up with the pace of modern life. It's not surprising. It's only 25 years. Kairos time, kingdom time is not the same as BBC time or Netflix time or choose your platform. 
Spiritual life has its own pace, and it is a slow pace. Much of our spiritual life is actually to be spent waiting and listening. If the creator of the universe wants to say something, I want to wait and listen to what he has to say. And that, what that means to referen- with reference to solitude and silence. Our body, including our mind, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to slow down and denoise everything. We're a dwelling place of God. He lives in each one of us. He made a home and a dwelling inside each one of us. So then when we go into solitude, we spend that time. We can listen to scripture. You can do a big chunk. You can do a couple of verses. You can do just one verse. We listen to the circumstances of our lives. We search for God's hand of providence in the unfolding of our story. We ask, where is God in the events of our lives? What is God trying to draw out of us in this season? We listen to the quiet whisperings of our heart. What are the things that we want? What are the things that are bothering us? And we trust that God's spirit is at work in us. In solitude, we get in touch with the deepest desire of the spirit of God in our inner heart. We listen to the thoughts that come into our minds from God himself. And we know from our story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, God's voice is so often quiet and gentle. If it was quiet and gentle in Elijah's time, more so in our time. There's no shortcut. This is why the quiet is really the best medium for hearing God's voice. And it's why learning to to discern God's voice from all the other voices is the task of a lifetime. Jesus invites us all to learn how to discern his father's voice, just like getting to know any other voice. Jesus told us in John 10, verses 3 and 4, that his sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So as we spend time with our heavenly father, we will come to recognize his voice. We get to know what it sounds like just by waiting patiently in the quiet and listening to him. So let's practice. And you don't have to start with like a whole day of silence and solitude. You can start with just five minutes. If that feels too much, just start with two minutes. Our world is so noisy, so busy, that even two minutes might feel like a really big step. But let's denoise. Let's lower the volume in our lives. Paul invited the Thessalonians to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. The reality is we live in a noisy world. But as we practice following Jesus, we find, and I found this myself as a practice, we listen to fewer podcasts. We listen to a bit less music in the car or wherever, watch less television. None of those things are bad per se, but the constant background noise just provides this distraction from the emptiness, from the silence that we're looking for when we want to respond to that invitation to meet God. If you want to read more about solitude and silence, because as I said, three talks is a very very limited amount. Um, I can recommend Beholding by Stray and Coleman. Hopefully these are going to come. There we go. Beholding by Stray and Coleman, Invitation to Solitude and Silence by Ruth Haley Barton, and Practicing the Way. And you can get those, uh, some of the Practicing the Way materials on our website. I've covered a lot this morning, and um, I want to close. As I prepared for this morning, I kept thinking about how close the word abide is to the word abode, which means home. Home is where we go, where we're safe. And if you haven't had a home that's safe, um, I'm desperately sorry for you because that's awful. 
Home is where we go, where we're seen and known, where we're fed, where we rest. It's where God longs to be with us. And we're all built with a desire in us to go home. When Jesus comes into our life, that's great. And we take him everywhere, but we are built to go home to Jesus. And I was also thinking as I prepared for this morning about the two sons in Luke 15. One of them leaves home and he runs out of everything and he thinks, I don't know if I can go home, but I think I might have to need to. And he turns around and he goes home and he works out, I'm going to fall on my knees for my father and just ask him to take me back. But what he doesn't realize is his father is saying, just come home. I don't care how long you're away. I don't care how bad it is. I just want you to come home. And so this morning, what I want to say to you is if everything I've said feels like a step too far, there is one invitation. Come to Jesus because he is waiting and there are no conditions. He just wants to welcome you home and you can start there.